this morning, uh, we're still leading up to the Passover as we work our way through Exodus. Uh, as I was considering this passage, some, some fond memories were coming back to me. Um, maybe you had better parents than I had. Um, I had pretty good parents for the most part, but, but every now and then, um, when I was out of the house, off to a friend's place, uh, I would get to play Mortal Kombat. How many of you guys have played or seen Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter? Sinners. Look at you. Man. If you're familiar, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's one of those kind of one-on-one fighting games. And uh, I was never very good at Mortal Kombat, uh, which is a big deal as a 10-year-old in the 90s. That was, that was making it. Um, my friends got to spend hours playing, and uh, I only got to play when I, when I went over to their place, and my mom didn't know what we were doing. Um, but over time, I started to get better and better, because I wasn't a very obedient child, and, uh, and eventually got to that place, that coveted position, the coolest part in the whole game. Those of you who've played it know exactly what I'm talking about. You get your opponent beaten down, their, their life bar is down to the last little red sliver, and they start to wobble, and the game kind of freezes, and these words come up on the screen, and this epic voice says, finish him. And, and this is probably why my parents didn't let me play it, because every character had their own unique, particularly violent and gory finishing move. And, uh, and it was awesome. And it must have been kind of a 90s thing, because I remember the three times that I got away with watching WWF wrestling, they had this similar thing, right? They, they would get their opponent on the ropes, and they would have their like signature finishing move. And it was this big deal how they, they dramatically defeated their opponent, uh, fully humiliated him. And uh, as we look at these last three plagues, as we're coming through these plagues on Egypt, these three plagues are like God's finishing move. This is, this is it. This is his big grand finale. This is his signature move. Um, we have these three, and then I should clarify, we're holding off with Passover and, and the, the angel of death coming at the end. But these three, the, the hail, the locust, and the darkness are significant and just loaded with meaning and imagery. God has Pharaoh on the ropes. He's, he's beaten. He's devastated. Um, there, there's just a sliver of life left. And in fact, uh, as many of these finishing moves go, God has to kind of reach out and hold him up so that he can finish this display. And God has reserved these three, these signature moves. These aren't just three more plagues. They're, they're loaded with symbolism and significance. So I just invite you to turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 9. Um, I invite our ushers forward with the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible on you, maybe you left it at home, maybe you don't have one, um, grab one of these, just slip up your hand, and uh, our ushers would love to get you one. We want you to have God's Word Open on your lap so that you can see this is, this is God's word. Um, my goal is not to add anything to God's word. It's just to help us go deeper to what's already here and understand it better. Um, so we're looking at Exodus chapter 9, um, verses 13 to uh, 35 is the, is the first plague. Um, and here again, we find ourselves early in the morning. Egypt has been through a lot. The blood. The frogs, the gnats, the insects, the livestock die, the boils. Pharaoh's been resisting God. He's been trying to bargain with God. How about we just let you go a little ways? Or how about you just do sacrifices, but here in the land? And, and twice it's said that Pharaoh has hardened his heart against God. He has made himself glorious against God. 
By the end of plague six, however, chapter nine, verse 12, we're told that for the first time, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was reaching his limits. Pharaoh was reaching the end of his strength. This is what he wanted to do. He wanted to oppose God, and he was running out of stamina. And so the Lord hardens his heart. Let's pick up here, plague number seven. We had a lot of reading to do this morning, um, so just be prepared for that. Um, But it's God's word, and it's good. So let's uh, lean into that. Chapter 9, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put... Out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show my power, so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day that it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and that is not brought home will die. And when the, when the hail falls on them, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the house. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. Toward the heavens, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast in every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, and every and very heavy hail, such as never been seen in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron, and he said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I am and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord that there might be that plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart he and his servants. 
And so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Having hardened Pharaoh's heart, the Lord now sends Moses with the same message one more time. Let my people go, that they may serve me. He warns Pharaoh in verse 14, this time I'm going to send my plagues on yourself. Literally, he says, on your heart. Remember back in the first plague when the blood came and everyone was digging alongside the Nile trying to find fresh water. It says that Pharaoh went into his palace and he did not take even this to heart. It's about the heart. That's what the Lord is after. Not just lip service, not just outward obedience, the heart. And he tells Pharaoh in verse 15, by this point, uh, is it not obvious that I could have killed you? Like I could have wiped you out. I could have cut you off long ago. That would have been simple for me. Why not? Why doesn't God just crush them? He tells them, no, I raised you up for this purpose, to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So we notice it's not just about Pharaoh and his heart. It's not just about Israel and the Egyptians. It's about the world. It's about the earth seeing the Lord. And and Egypt is the perfect place. They're the superpower on the world stage at this point. Everyone's watching Egypt. Egypt is the, the perfect stage for the maximum display of the glory and power of God. Verse 18, the Lord says that he would send this heavy hail on Egypt. We've been tracking this all the way through. Any guesses what that word heavy is? It's kavod, a glorious hail. He's displaying his glory. And for the first time, the Lord offers a way of escape. He tells Pharaoh, the hail is coming, so bring in your livestock, bring in your servants. Don't don't leave them out there or they'll be killed. Anything left out there is going to die. Now, it's interesting at I decided not to deal with this last week, but to leave it for this week. Now I wish I had done it then, but here we are. Um, Maybe you're thinking, what do you mean bring in your livestock? The livestock are dead. Don't you remember plague five? All the livestock died. Well, apparently not. They're still livestock. Um, Even in the plague of the boils, right right after um, the plague on the livestock, it says that the boils would come on man and beast, which, which implies livestock. And in the Passover, we're told that the firstborn, um, not only of the people, but all of their livestock will die. And so it did say that all of the livestock died. What do we do with that? Well, all can be a tricky word. I don't want to play games with language, but obviously as we're reading through this, we go, we've misunderstood something. Um, And I think Moses makes that a little more obvious. Uh, In in chapter 9, verse 6, he gives us... He says, all the livestock died. Um, But before that, in in verse 3, as he introduces the plague, he says that it's going to come on horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, on the flocks. Um, All doesn't have to mean every single individual, but but maybe all as in from all different kinds of livestock. Um, Doesn't mean the plague wasn't severe. Doesn't mean that it wasn't devastating. It just means that there's still some livestock around. There's still more to be taken away from the Egyptians. And it's amazing, verse 20, whoever feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the house. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He's holding out, but at least some of the Egyptians are figuring this out. This Yahweh, when he says something, it happens. 
This is scary. Let, let's listen. Let's pull in our, our livestock. And, and how could they not? Everything they've seen up to this point. And sure enough, the Lord brings hail. Hail like had never been seen before in all the land of Egypt. And not just hail, but, but hail and fire. Hebrew has a word for lightning. I checked. This isn't it. This is fire. He talks about hail and a storm and thunder and fire. A lot of speculation here. We don't know what's going on. Possibly um, the word fire here is speaking of, of lightning that's causing fires. It's fire starting lightning. We think of, of BC last year with the forest fires and all the, the, the havoc that, that that caused with lightning causing these fires. Another option is kind of strange, but, but possible. I think it's kind of cool. Um, there's this thing called ball lightning. It's, it's never been kind of studied scientifically proven, um, but there's, there's stories of it all throughout history of these just balls of lightning that run along the ground, sometimes for like a minute. And uh, it's this strange curiosity. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's strange, but so is this whole plague thing. Another option, and, and many would say, is it's just fire. Fire is coming down from heaven. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, um, there is hail and there is fire, simple as that. And, and maybe, we don't really know. But even the hail by itself struck down, literally the word could be smashed. Every tree stripped bare, not only of leaves, but of limbs. Every crop is beaten flat into the ground. Piles of massive hailstones drift up. Strange as it may sound, there's, there's steam going up from the burning fires among the hail as it continues to fall. And mixed throughout are the pummeled, bloodied bodies of man and animal. This is disastrous. Picture this scene. This is like right out of the worst apocalypse movie uh, from Hollywood. And as you scan the horizon, you see the, the devastation of this storm as the hail crashes down. You look over at Goshen where the Israelites live and the sun is shining. Animals are walking out in the field, children outside playing oblivious. There's no hail there. Maybe they were still hiding inside. They're close enough to see this. But they're safe. They're sheltered. And under the, the pressure of this plague, Pharaoh cries out again. And he brings in Moses and Aaron yet again. But this time, he seems pretty legit. Verse 27, he says, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and my people are in the wrong. He even has the right language, but if we keep reading down to verse 30, Moses doesn't buy it. He says, as for you and your servants, I know that you don't yet fear the Lord. You don't get it. Verse 34 is the proof. As soon as the pressure is off, as soon as the plague is taken away. By the way, I love this. The, the hail is falling and destroying everything, and Moses comes walking into the palace. Moses says, I'm going to walk out of here. And after I get out of the city, I'll raise my hands and the storm will stop. Like, this is a, that's an arrogant move. Like, that's just awesome. He just struts out and the hail, I don't know, parts around him. But as soon as the hail stops, before it's even melted, before the fires are even out, Pharaoh again hardens his heart. He won't let the people go. Not going to happen. Just pause there for a minute. How many times has Pharaoh done this? How many times do we do this? Times are hard. 
there's suffering in our life. We, we need something from God, and so we go to church, and we read the Bible, and we, and we get on our knees before God, and we cry out to Him, and then the trial is gone, and well, good to go now. See you, God. See you next time life is hard. Um, it's back to normal. It's back to looking out for number one. Back to indulging in, in sin and serving ourselves. Why? Because the Lord never had your heart. You never truly feared the Lord. You were never actually regretting and repenting of sin, just the cost of sin, just the, the pain that it caused. Never actually loved the Lord, just, just what he could offer you. It's different. Don't be deceived by your own outward actions. Don't fall into this trap that Pharaoh continues to fall into, thinking that these outward actions will appease God, that that's enough. Think of my own kids growing up in a Christian home. They know what to do. They know the right words to use. But that's not enough. God wants the heart. He wants us to truly fear Him, to stand in awe and wonder and amazement of who He is. Don't fall into Pharaoh's trap. And Pharaoh hardens his heart again. And the Lord brings yet another plague. Plague number 8 comes in in chapter 10. Let me read that for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in, my, in the hearing of your sons and your grandsons how I have dealt with harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. And so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country that they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. And then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not see, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds. We must go hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you go with your little ones. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord for that's what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. And so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. 
The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees and the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord that your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pled with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locust and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Moses and Aaron, back in front of Pharaoh. This time, there's another unique element. Moses asks Pharaoh, how long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? How long, Pharaoh? This is the gracious call of the Lord to sinners. How long will you fight against me? How long until you humble yourself? Verse 4 is the threat of the eighth plague, the locusts. Locusts covering all of the earth, and they're going to eat everything that was left behind by the hail. And you ask, well, what did the hail leave behind? Well, that's the point of that awkward little parentheses back in 931 and 32. He's setting it up. The flax and barley were destroyed. They were wiped out. But the wheat and the emmer, they're late in coming up. They hadn't budded yet. They're, they're still there. And so the Lord is strategically bringing this progressive destruction, making it more and more heavy upon Pharaoh. He dropped the hail at just the right time that half their crops were destroyed, but the wheat and the emmer hadn't sprouted yet. Now think about it. This is an agrarian society. They live off of these farms. And so you don't just run down to the grocery store and, and buy food if you don't have it. If your crop is small, your storage is small, and your meals that year are going to be small. And if your crop is wiped out, you might be able to buy a little extra off your neighbor if he has some. But you don't just collect insurance and move on. This is your, this is your life. You might starve to death. And so the first half of the crop wiped out along with a, all but a few of the goats and the cows across the country. The wheat and the emmer, this is their last hope. This is what they're banking on. It's a good thing that hail came before the wheat sprouted. Um, we're going to be eating many wheats all year long, but we might make it through. And the threat of the locust is a threat against their last hope. And Moses warns the locusts uh, aren't just going to eat everything in the fields. It says they will be in the houses. Why in the houses? There's food in the houses. They're going to clean you out. What's growing and what's stored. Moses drops that bombshell and then confidently walks out of the room again. And Pharaoh's servants lose it. They begin to challenge Pharaoh. Um, this is significant. In a society like this in ancient times, you don't question royalty. You don't dare enter the presence of royalty unless you've been summoned and and, and Pharaoh's servants are, are beginning to challenge him. What are you doing? They don't fear Pharaoh so much anymore. Not with this Yahweh here. He's terrifying. 
Pharaoh, how long will you let this man be a snare to us? What a great image, a snare used for trapping and killing animals. It's a noose that, that the animal walks through and it tightens around its neck. And the harder you pull, the more suffering it inflicts. My dad has snares all over his property up north catching coyotes. That's the intent. But every now and then, now that it's getting a little more populated out there, the neighbor's dog will come wandering onto our property and, and walk into a snare. But you know what happens when a, a domestic dog gets caught in a snare? If it's trained at all, nothing. It tugs against the noose. It says, that's not comfortable. I'm going to sit down here and wait, and you can come and release it. But a wild dog or a coyote gets into that snare, and they will pull and yank and fight until it kills them. Pharaoh, how long are you going to yank against this snare? How long are you going to fight against God? It's painful. You're destroying yourself. Stop. And Pharaoh listens, sort of. He brings Moses and Aaron back. But again, he tries to negotiate. He's not repentant. He's just trying to strike a bargain. He asks, knowing full well what the answer is. I'll let you go, but, but who exactly is going to go? Just the men? No, Pharaoh. No, the same thing we've said from the beginning. All of the people, the young and the old, the men and the women. And Pharaoh says, no way. God help you if I let you leave. If the men go alone and the women are left behind, he has a hostage. He has security that you're coming back. You're not going to go far without them. But Pharaoh's not broken yet. He's, he's cracking, but he's not broken. So he sends them out and the locusts come. Verse 14, a dense swarm of locusts. Um, you guessed it. Kavod, a, a glorious swarm of locusts. And they eat everything. Not a green thing remains, not on tree or plant in all of Egypt. And, and Pharaoh hastily calls Aaron and Moses back again. Once again, he repents. Once again, the Lord removes the plague from him. And once again, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. He's propping Pharaoh up, strengthening Pharaoh's already wicked heart. And then he announces the ninth plague, the final of the three sets of three starting in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have the sacrifices and the burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, 
and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The third plague in this final set of three comes once again unannounced, without warning. Moses stretches out his hand toward the sky. If you remember the progression from the water to the land to the sky, and darkness comes in, a darkness that could be felt. I don't know if you've ever been in pitch black. I mean, you, as kids, you always had to go in the bathroom. That was the one room without a window, and then you try and shove towels under the door, but you can still kind of see. Uh, we used to go caving uh, years ago, and you get down like a couple hundred meters under the ground, and, and it's dark. You can't, you can't see anything. It's eerily dark. That's what they're dealing with here. So dark, no one even dared to get up. They didn't see one another. What if you, what if you got lost? How would you find your way back? But again, in Israel, there's light. I don't know how that, what that looks like, how that works. God is doing things that are absolutely outside of our experience. Pharaoh called Moses to himself once again, made his most generous offer yet. Okay, you go. You and your little ones, your women and children go with you. Just leave the flocks. Just leave your animals behind because ours have all been killed. The Lord still will not barter. Even down to the last detail, down to the last hoof, we are leaving together. For the fourth time, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Even now, completely decimated, standing in the dark, his entire country just in shambles, in ruins. He refuses to let the people go. And he sends Moses out of his presence with a threat. Don't let me see your face again. The Lord is holding him up, anticipating this last plague, the final blow. We know the angel of death is coming. The most painful plague is yet to fall. But these three plagues are significant. These are God's signature moves. They don't show up just here. They, they actually run right through Scripture. As God displays His wrath, His ultimate destruction over evil. Just a quick flyover. Joshua 10, we see hail showing up. As God used the Israelites to judge and destroy the people in Canaan, verse 11, says the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Joel 28, the Lord says that he has storehouses of hail for the day of trouble, the day of his wrath. Ezekiel 13, the Lord says that on the false prophets, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in my wrath to make a full end. God's wrath symbolized by hail and locusts. Locusts coming in Joel as well. Chapter one, the Lord speaks of a day of past judgment against Israel. 
And he says, what the cutting locust left the swarming locusts have eaten, and what the swarming locusts left the hopping locusts have eaten, and what the hopping locusts have left the destroying locusts have eaten. And he uses that throughout the book to look forward to a future day of God's wrath, when the locusts then represent an army coming in destruction. Again, this picture of God's wrath leading to complete desolation and destruction. But it's not just hail. It's not just locust, it's darkness. Joel 2 goes on to speak of the day of the Lord. Joel 2, chapter, or verses 1 and 2, Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Psalm 18 Verses 11 and 12 speaks of the Lord's wrath, saying that he made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick, dark clouds with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. Sound familiar? This is God's signature move. This is the side of God that we don't like to talk about. This is the side of God that we don't like to meet. Rightly so. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a terrifying God. And his wrath is utterly destructive. That's scary. These three pictures used throughout Scripture as the image of God's wrath, bringing complete destruction. Nobody escapes. Think of the absolute obliteration of this country. Their economy is destroyed. Their most powerful nation on earth is brought to nothing. As we saw in the previous plagues, the gods that they worship have been dethroned, humiliated. This time around, these three plagues all focusing on the realm of the sky. Newt was the god of the sky. From Seth was the god of the wind and storms. Nepper and Nepri were the god of grain. Sekhmet was responsible for locusts. No, Yahweh rules over all of them. Don't call out to your gods. It will do you no good. Yahweh is the one God. None shall stand in opposition to him. But most significantly here, is the king of all the gods of Egypt, the supposed father of Pharaoh himself, Ra, the god of the sun. And it was said that he was the creator of all things, that every morning he would rise and sail his boat across the sky, and every evening he would die to be resurrected the next morning. And as the plague of the gnats and the boils as the third plague in each of their sets was pointed directly at, at man. This last one is pointed directly at Pharaoh. In a land without much for medical technology, uh, it could be difficult to know. Is somebody actually dead? Is this just a, a coma? Have they passed out? Uh, and so their general practice um, was not to assume death right away, but to leave the body for three days. The pronouncement of death was made after a person was unresponsive into the third day. So this darkness, the death of Ra, lasted not one, not two, but three days. Your God 
the king of all the gods, the creator God, the patron God of Pharaoh himself, he's dead. He's not just fainted. He's, he's not just mostly dead. He's dead. Slain by the darkness. Slain by the wrath and judgment of God. Yahweh, the one God. God is showing how fully, how completely he will rescue his people. He'll obliterate evil by the outpouring of his wrath. He said in 9.15, he could have cut them off. This could have been much shorter. This could have been a one day or one minute event. But that wasn't enough. That's not what God is trying to accomplish. Not just to wipe out Egypt, but to make a display of the completeness of the destruction that his wrath brings. Not just breaking Egypt, but destroying it. And not for a partial rescue of Egypt either, or of Israel. He doesn't settle for just the people making sacrifices to him in the land, or the people leaving the land but not going very far, or the men going out and leaving the women and children behind, or even the men and the women and children but leaving behind their livestock. He will deliberately liberate them fully and completely all the way out, completely gone right down to the last hoof of the last sheep. Now we have a paradigm, a model, a pattern that God is building off of. This is how God saves all of his people completely and fully. He decimates their enemies. So as these signature moves show up again through the course of history, we know what God is communicating. We know what he means when he does this. And as we approach Good Friday, I hope you're already Leaning into this, you see this coming. Here's point number two. God reconciles his people. This is astounding. As Jesus, the perfect son of God, is mocked, condemned, beaten, whipped, nailed to the cross, what happens? Is he hung there? Luke 23 Starting verse 44, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Well, the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Darkness. In the middle of the day. Darkness for three hours. The light of the world hung on the cross, stricken with darkness. God's signature move, his wrath pouring out, but this time not on his enemies, us, but on his son. On his son. He's taking the wrath that we deserve. And it's no coincidence that that same hour, the curtain temple, the temple curtain is torn top to bottom. That curtain separated a sinful people from a holy God. 
Behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God said, my presence will dwell. And only, the only person who could enter into that place was the high priest. And then only once a year, and after killing a bull and being sprinkled with its blood as a, as a cleansing, if anyone else were to enter that space, the presence of God, they would die. The wrath of God against their sin would consume them. But when the darkness came, the signature move of God, the sign of God's ferocious judgment, the wrath of God pouring out onto Jesus, wrath and punishment worse than all of the plagues of Egypt, the punishment of sin for every child of God, every repentant sinner that would have taken you and I an eternity to experience is compressed down and poured out onto Christ on that cross over the course of three hours down to the last drop so that Jesus hanging there could cry out, it is finished. There's no longer a need for a curtain. Because no longer would the people of God come through the temple to see God, but through Jesus. No longer would the presence of God be in the temple, but in his people. And no longer would there be the wrath and judgment in his presence because Jesus paid it all. His wrath poured out. Not only is he rescuing his people, but he's reconciling them to himself. So there's darkness. But what about locusts? What about hail? Do those show up at the cross? I don't remember seeing those going through Matthew and, and Luke. They're not there. Why not? Why are those missing? Because he's not done yet. The end hasn't come yet. Where do locusts and hail return? Well, for them, we wait. We wait for the completion of our salvation. Not only does God rescue his people and reconcile his people to himself, but he will restore all of creation. His victory, just like the victory over Egypt, will be absolutely comprehensive and complete. We wait for that day. Listen to Romans 8, verse 18. I'll read a fair passage here. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation, the, the world, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility. Talking about the curse of sin in our world. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. The whole world is under this burden, this weight of, of sin and, and corruption. We look around and we see tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and people dying and Babies dying of diseases and cancer. And it's this world strained under the curse of sin. Groaning for that day when everything will be made right again. What will that day look like? How will we know when it's here? God will finish this battle with his signature moves. His finishing blows with hail. Revelation 8 says, now the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to blow them, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire. That sounds familiar. Mixed with blood. And they were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the grass was burned up. Revelation 16, 21, and great hailstones about a hundred pounds each fell from heaven on the people and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. He's, he's just about quoting from Exodus. He's saying God is going to come and he will judge those who have rebelled against him. He will rain down his hail on those who have not bent the knee to Jesus. And locusts. Revelation 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened, and the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke Sorry, then from the smoke came locusts onto the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And then with darkness, Revelation 6, 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood. And verses 16 and 17 say, this was the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? God's finishing the job. He is destroying this nation, this world that has kept his people captive, who has opposed him, who have set themselves up as glorious against him. He's saying, you will be wiped out. My wrath will come in full and you will be decimated. Oh, sinner, how long? How long will you lift yourself up? Will you exalt yourself against God? How long will you pull against that snare? It's only mercy that it's only a snare. The end is coming. God will destroy all those who stand against him. He will rescue his people those who have bent the knee to him, those who come not as perfect, but as repentant sinners, those who fear the Lord, 
Those whose hearts he has. His people will be reconciled to him. And creation will be restored. Sin will be wiped out from this earth. It will be undone. It will be as if it never happened. All this culminates. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's God's enemies wiped out. Death is no more. Anyone whose name not written in the book of life, no more. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. They're reconciled. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a great day. That's what we look forward to, church. A day of full rescue, complete freedom from our captivity to sin and death and suffering and pain. Finished. So we hope. Waiting for what is unseen. Looking forward. How do we wait? What do we do in this meantime? We proclaim it. Exodus 9.16. For this purpose I raised you up, Pharaoh. To show my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Exodus 10.1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. In the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Here we are, generations later telling this story in the hearing of our sons and our grandsons that they might know the heavy wrath of God against those who oppose him and know that he is the Lord, that he rescues, that he saves. And we proclaim not only his victory in Egypt, but the victory on the cross. And we look forward to the victory that he will have in eternity. How do we do it? How do we proclaim this victory? Well, we do it exactly how Jesus told us to. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? Proclaim my death.